you know, here we are, we're going to open the Word together, but one day, the time for the Word will be over, and it'll just be a time for worship, and music, and dancing, like we experienced this morning, just feeling a little bit overwhelmed by that. Well, as we come down to the end of 2019, I've been thinking about the fact that it's been coming up on 30 years since we've lived in the Columbus area. We moved here from Champaign, Illinois, right at the start of 1990. Both Jane and I grew up in Northeast Ohio, so Columbus was, you know, a growing city with lots of jobs, not too far away from family and not too close. And that's why we moved here. And we found a house we liked and we settled in Reynoldsburg. And as I think back to when we arrived here, it's amazing how much the area has changed over that time. You know, where we live now was pretty rural in 1990. My drive to work was past trees and fields where now there's businesses and strip malls. And where our neighborhood was, was just a forest. Uh, there was a barn nearby that they disassembled. And if you know that Mr. Tree Farm out in Blacklick, they moved it there and rebuilt it. So while Reynoldsburg has expanded out to the east, along Wagoner Road, there's still a lot of farms there to this day. The city decided rather than widen Wagoner Road or straighten it out, they would like to keep the rural feel of the area. So here in the middle of all these subdivisions and shopping centers, there's this little slice of the past that's been preserved. And if there's anything you know, if you're familiar with that area at all, the one thing you might associate with it is sheep farms. There are two farms there especially where they still raise sheep. And if you drive through, you often see the sheep out grazing in the fields. In the spring, you see the new lambs, or you can tell when they've sheared the sheep and they've harvested the wool. When my kids were in school, they would occasionally come home with a story about an escapee. They were on the school bus and see a sheep out in someone's front yard, you know. And uh, it's not too hard to guess where it came from. So presumably the powers that be grabbed that wayward sheep and got it back to its home. Now for me, and I bet for most of us in this room, that's about the extent of my experience with sheep. Maybe you see them on a farm as you drive by, or maybe you've touched one at like a petting zoo or something like that. But most of us don't know much about sheep here in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio. Yet, the Bible talks a bunch about sheep to illustrate different aspects of our lives, or the character of God. In fact, Jesus used sheep as an example of spiritual principle several times, so when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, I'm not sure we completely get all the implications of that. So I'm preparing for this today. I, I spent some time studying up on what that job was all about. Now, in that society back then, everybody was familiar with sheep and shepherding, and because it was so easily understood in the culture of the times, the Bible uses the imagery related to sheep and shepherds a bunch. Sheep are mentioned almost 400 times in the Bible, and shepherds about 100 times. Since, since people understood what shepherds did and how sheep behaved, it was a great source for illustrations and analogies that everybody would get. But since we don't understand that as well, let's take a minute to hit some of the highlights of these things, okay? Now, sheep were just a common part of the life in the arid Middle East because they can live on a minimal amount of water and grass. And sheep can be moved to different areas where, when they need new grazing or watering sources, like when it's particularly dry. Now, sheep are pretty helpless. 
Goats, they could fend for themselves better, but sheep required more active care. Sheep had to be led to pasture and to water. And there were plenty of predators in the Middle East at that time, including wolves and bears, even, even lions. And in those times, owning livestock was a source of affluence, right? So sheep could even be stolen by thieves. And sheep really aren't all that smart. <laughs> They're prone to wandering off. A sheep can be looking down, eating grass, wander away from the flock and not realize it. And even if the other sheep are still within sight, it can't find its way back to the flock. So when Scripture talks about us being like, all of us have been like sheep who've gone astray, in Isaiah 53, 6, folks who understood about sheep knew what that meant. Now, the Bible often talks about those who serve and follow God as sheep individually and collectively as a flock. For example, Psalm 95 says this, starting in verse 6. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pastor, the flock under His care. Sheep are submissive, and they trust the shepherd. Just as sheep would be totally dependent on the shepherd, it's a picture of how we're supposed to be with God, right? We should trust him and be dependent on him for our welfare and really even for our very existence. Okay, let's turn our attention for a second to the caretakers of the sheep, the shepherds. Now, this was not considered one of the most glamorous of professions at that time, but what they did in this agrarian society Bible times was really important. Again, since owning livestock was a sign of wealth, Protecting the investment in the sheep was a critical job. It was lonely out in the fields with the animals, and it was often a hard life. It could even be dangerous. To find grazing and water for the flock, the shepherd might range very far from home. And yet, even if this profession wasn't always considered a dream job, the Bible and other writings of this time make it clear that the attributes that made someone a good shepherd were ones that were admirable. Loyalty, selflessness, care, and gentle leading were all qualities of shepherding that everyone could aspire to. And, you know, it wasn't like the shepherd could just, you know, clock out at 5 o'clock and call it a day, right? The sheep had to be watched over 24-7. See, unlike today, sheep weren't usually fenced in. So the shepherd had to keep count of the sheep and find any who wandered off and give special care to any young or sick animals. For entertainment, shepherds often played music. They might have a flute-like instrument they carried around or a harp. And it's not like a harp we think about today, a big giant thing. It's more like a small guitar. So we think of David, David the, the shepherd and musician who became king of Israel. He had plenty of time out in the fields to hone his music and to play and write songs. But besides music, the shepherd would talk to the sheep and they became used to his call. That's not really surprising. Those of you that have pets, you talk to your pet, they know your voice, right? In fact, it said when two flocks met up, maybe like at a well or watering source, and when they went their separate ways, the sheep would follow their own shepherd just because they knew his voice. The Old Testament talked about God as a shepherd from the very first book in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 48, Jacob said this, then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walk faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd, 
all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. Now, in the New Testament, the only literal reference to shepherds is in the Christmas narrative. In Luke chapter 2, where it says the announcement of the angels to shepherds of the birth of Jesus. They were out tending their flocks at night, right? Every other reference in the New Testament to sheep and shepherds is an illustration or a parable or a figure of speech. So when Jesus says he is the good shepherd, and in fact the Bible even calls Jesus the chief shepherd, we'll get to that, maybe now we have a little bit better idea what he means by that. But understanding all the stuff about sheep and shepherds is all well and good, why does it matter to me and you? What, what does it mean to us in our daily lives? Well, to bring this down to something more personal, let's consider five ways that Jesus would like to be the good shepherd in your life today. If you haven't done so, take a moment to grab the study guide from your worship folder, or you can get the version on the New Life app if you like that better. And we're going to consider these five ways. The first one is that Jesus wants to be your provider. Now, even if you don't know much about the Bible, you've probably been at some gathering, whether it's a funeral or something, where you've heard the 23rd Psalm read. It's a classic passage that uses the metaphor of a shepherd to talk about God. And it starts out like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. This is talking about how Jesus, the Lord, wants to be your provider. Put yourself in the place of the sheep. When Jesus is your Lord, you don't have to worry about having a green pasture to gaze in. He's going to find it for you. You don't need to worry about quiet waters to drink from. He's going to take you there. When you're tired or troubled, Jesus is going to refresh your soul. Now you might be saying, Pastor Joe, I don't know about you, but I can't say that I lack nothing. And while God does meet physical needs through circumstances or even just giving us the ability to do something to earn a living, it isn't always about having stuff. Jesus meets needs besides just material ones. But I think sometimes we want more than just our needs met, right? There are wants, too. I heard someone once talk about the 23rd Psalm like this, and it changed my understanding of it. When we think about green pastures here in our country, in our time, we might think about like summertime in Ohio. You're out driving around through the farms or, or maybe somewhere in the lush farm country in the American Plains. We're thinking about, you know, thick grass blowing in the wind, right? But this psalmist lived in Israel. What they called a green pasture, we would call a desert. A dry, arid place with some grass. Enough grass to feed the sheep for one day. In other words, like we talked about earlier, the sheep were totally dependent on the shepherd to have their needs met each day. And like them, God wants us to be totally dependent on him daily to have our needs met. Jesus wants to be your daily provider. He doesn't want you to be all self-sufficient. 
He doesn't want you saying, hey, I got this. I don't need you, Jesus. I can handle life on my own. No, he wants us to be the flock under his care, like Psalm 95 says. I can only speak about me. I like to go it alone a lot of times. We Americans, we we admire self-sufficiency. But that's not what God wants from us. God wants our devotion and dependence. At the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus, he was talking to Peter, one of his closest followers, and and even though Peter told Jesus, hey, I'm going to be loyal to you no matter what, when Jesus was unjustly arrested, Peter denied knowing him. But Jesus wanted to encourage and restore Peter, and he wanted Peter to lead the church when Jesus went back to heaven. So in John 21, verse 15, it says this, When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. Here again, Jesus is using the analogy of sheep to talk about his followers. He called them lambs, he called them sheep. And here he's telling Peter that if he loves them, he's going to take care of the sheep. He'll feed them. And Jesus isn't talking about physical food here. He's talking about teaching them the word of God and helping them to be everything God wants them to be. Jesus wants to provide not just for your physical needs, not just for your emotional needs, but for your spiritual needs as well. What are those? Well, we'll come back to that. A second way, Jesus wants to be your shepherd. Jesus wants to be your protector. Now, in our day, when I'm thinking about those sheep, down on the farms down in Reynoldsburg, where the sheep are neatly fenced in and they have a nice barn to shelter them. But that wasn't the way it was back then. Back in Bible times, the sheep typically weren't fenced in and they were out in the open most of the time. In Ohio, we don't really have to worry too much about wolves and bears and lions grabbing the sheep. And I doubt thieves are a big problem for our local farmers. But in the time of Jesus, everyone understood that one of the most important jobs a shepherd did was to guard the sheep. Let's go back to Psalm 23. We're going to pick up where we left off reading at verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, protect the sheep, the shepherd carried two tools, a rod and a staff. The staff you're probably familiar with, you know, that a shepherd's crook that we've seen, you know, a long pole with a hook on the end. They could use it to kind of, you know, grab the sheep, or sometimes they used them to count them. The rod was more like a a club that would be used for the protection of the sheep, probably to, you know, beat off a predator or something. Zechariah 9.16 says, The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. And there's more to protection than just keeping away predators. The shepherd cared for his sheep and guarded them in every way. Isaiah 40, verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is showing us the the care that the shepherd used with his sheep. 
In John 10, that passage that Matt read for us, it tells us in verse 3, that the good shepherd calls each of his sheep by name. The sheep know the shepherd's voice and follow him. There's, there's this personal touch there. You know, we as human beings, we tend to put ourselves in harm's way. Just like the sheep have a tendency to wander off and leave themselves unprotected. We don't always do what's best for ourselves. Or is that just me? Jesus not only wants to protect us from outside forces that might harm us, but from ourselves as well. Well, let's take it up another notch. Let's read again what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10. His protection isn't just about keeping the sheep alive. He said this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus doesn't want you to just live. He wants you to have the richest, fullest life possible. Seems to me like a lot of folks think that God's you know, up in heaven looking down, wanting to bop you on the head when you mess up. And that's not who God is at all. He's a God that shows mercy. And I'm not going to take a lot of time to go into that today. Make sure you're here next week. We're going to talk about that part in detail. No, Jesus wants to protect you from a bland life where you just get by. A life where, yeah, the wolf is kept away, but nothing more than that. Jesus wants you to have your best possible life. And that brings me to the third thing Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to be your pastor. Now, we hear that word pastor, and in our society, we probably think about it like a job title or a position. Have you ever considered the word pastor has at its heart shepherding? That's where it comes from. Maybe another way to say this is Jesus wants to be your guide. He wants to help you on life's journey. Like the shepherd guides his sheep to pastures and water and away from danger. Jesus wants to do that for you. Psalm 78, verse 52. But he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. He guided them safely so they were unafraid. And then Psalm 80, verse 1. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Jesus wants to be your guide. Now, there's a flip side of this, too. Jesus doesn't want people to, to have to do without his guidance. In other words, he doesn't want anybody to just be out there without a shepherd. You know, we've already talked about how sheep have a tendency to stray. But the Bible several times talks about sheep with no shepherd at all. Now, we've talked about all the things that a shepherd does to provide for the sheep and protect them and how helpless they are, and especially in that society, think about sheep that had no shepherd. They wouldn't last too long. Mark 6.34 says this, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus were concerned, well, he was concerned about the people that had no guide, they had no shepherd. So how did Jesus guide his sheep? He taught them. It says right here, he taught them important truth about God and about his kingdom. He's guiding them to that better life, that full, abundant life, 
that we just talked about in John 10, 10. And getting back to that word pastor, let's talk about the charge God has given those of us who have the privilege and challenge of leading in the church. In 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 2, it says this, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest game, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. When the church is functioning like it ought to, Jesus, the chief shepherd, is calling the shots. And he's leading the leaders of the church who serve as under-shepherds. Leaders who set an example by following his example. Leaders who serve out of willing hearts and care for God's flock. Let's look at the fourth way that Jesus would like to be your shepherd today. Jesus wants to be your pursuer. Now, we've talked about how sheep tend to wander off or go astray, right? Listen to this story Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. So let's consider this story. Shepherd has 100 sheep. 99 are okay, but one is gone. Wandered off. Now it might be easy to say, well, look, I got 99 sheep. We're safe. It's only one who's lost. If I really want to risk myself and the safe ones to go find that missing sheep. But Jesus said in this passage we read that the good shepherd knows his sheep. He calls each of them by name, and they know his voice. Each one of the sheep is valuable. He cares too much for each of the sheep to let one go. You know, there's some of you here today. You've been in that flock of the Good Shepherd, but you've wandered away. You've gone astray. Maybe like those sheep, you... You looked up one day and you said, how did I get out here by myself? I, I can't see the shepherd anymore. You need to know that Jesus isn't going to say, hey, I've got all these other sheep who are good over here. What's one less sheep? No, he, he's not okay with you being out there on your own. He's going to come after you. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not just wandering off you're purposely running away from God. You decided to leave the flock behind. The good shepherd knows that like sheep, you aren't going to make it on your own. You need him. He's coming after you as well. You can run from him, but he isn't going to let you go. He's bringing his staff to gently guide you back. Are you going to cooperate with him? Or maybe you came here today and you, you don't know much about God. Maybe you've heard of Jesus. You don't know much about who he is or what he's done. You aren't part of the good shepherd's flock. 
you know, your being here today, hearing about how Jesus cares for each of his sheep, that isn't by accident. It's his way of coming after you. The good shepherd would love for you to be part of his flock where he can provide for you, where you can be under his protection and have his guidance. He doesn't want anyone to be a sheep without a shepherd. You might say, well, okay. How do I join up with the flock of the good shepherd? That's a great question. And the answer is found in the last way that Jesus wants to be your shepherd today. Jesus wants to be your proxy. What's a proxy? Someone who stands in for someone. Maybe another way, maybe more understandable, says Jesus wants to be your substitute. We've talked about how Jesus wants to be your protector, but it goes beyond that. Let's circle back to what he said in John chapter 10 again, starting in verse 14. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. You know, he talked about shepherds faced hardships and dangers as they cared for their sheep, but they expected to come out of it alive. Nobody would fault a faithful shepherd who, when faced with attack from a fierce predator, would save themselves rather than one of the sheep. But Jesus, the good shepherd, says he's different. He's taking it up a notch. Jesus says he's willing to die for his sheep. And that nobody's making him do it. He's doing it by his own choice. Now, when Jesus said this, he was telling the truth about what he was willing to do, and he proved it by doing just that, dying for his sheep. See, what we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus, the Son of God, come to earth in the form of a human baby, that's just part of the story. Jesus put aside all the privileges of being God in heaven to come to earth in the form of a human baby. And he took on human flesh that first Christmas. But as we've been talking about, that baby grew up. Whatever happened to him? Well, he lived a human life just like all of us do. But he did something none of us has done or can do. He lived a perfect human Jesus perfectly followed God's law. He he didn't sin or do things wrong like each of us do, like lying or cheating or envying or being prideful or any of a dozen other things like we've all done. But the religious leaders of that day, they didn't see it that way. They didn't believe Jesus was really God. They saw him as a prideful liar. They got the Roman authorities to sentence him to death on a cruel Roman cross. Now, Jesus was God. He had the power to rescue himself from this unjust sentence. But the good shepherd willingly laid down his life for his sheep. You may have been taught, you know, I'll get into heaven if I'm just a good person. If I do more good than bad, you know, the scales will tip in my favor. You know what? A perfect holy God can't tolerate any sin at all. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's pass-fail. 
if you've ever done one thing wrong, you fail. And none of us are perfect. We've all done wrong. That's the bad news. But there's good news. To pay for our sins, a perfect sacrifice had to be made, and it would require bloodshed. That's what Jesus did. He took the punishment for sin that he didn't deserve for each of us who do. That's how he wants to be your substitute. Taking the punishment for all the things all of us have done wrong, even though he never did anything wrong. And Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose alive after three days. He he defeated sin and death once and for all. That's how he meets those spiritual needs that we talked about earlier. If you're not part of the flock that knows the voice of the Good Shepherd, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, it's up to you. You can accept his sacrifice on your behalf by choosing to be part of his flock and following him. And if you do, his death on the cross is going to pay for your sins. He'll be your substitute. And he'll lead you in this life. He'll be your guide, your protector. And you'll be with him in the one to come. Or you can go it alone. Be that sheep with no shepherd that we talked about. And when you die, you will take the punishment for all you've done wrong yourself. And that means eternal separation from God in a real, literal hell, which is not politically correct to say, but it's the truth. Folks, listen to me on this. If you hear nothing else I say today, hear this. Choosing whether or not to be one of the sheep that follows the good shepherd is the most important decision you will ever make. And if you've never done so, I urge you to choose Jesus today. You might say, well, you know, it'll keep. I'll I'll do it later. Hey, none of us knows what the future holds. Don't put it off. Choose to be in his flock and follow Jesus today. Jesus, the good shepherd, he wants to be your provider. He wants to be your protector. He wants to be your pastor, your guide. He's your pursuer, even if you're trying to avoid him. He desperately wants to be your proxy, your substitute, your savior. Let's bow our heads for a moment. We're going to have just a couple minutes here between each of us and God. So how do we each respond to this? If you followed Jesus, but for whatever reason you strayed away from his flock, would you raise your hand so I can see it? I want to pray for you. I see see hands. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. I'm going to pray for you in a second. Thank you. I just want to say to each of you, today is the day to come back to his flock. If you've never followed Jesus, if you've never trusted him to be your substitute and allow him to take the punishment for your sins, will you raise your hand today so I can see it? I want to pray for you. Thank you. If that's you, I urge you to make this critical decision today and choose to follow Jesus.
Let me pray for you. God, thank you for each of these folks today that maybe have some things to think about as far as what it means for you to be the good shepherd in their life. Jesus, you didn't say these things just to kind of give us an understanding about who you are. It's personal. You carry your lambs in your arms. And God, you don't want anyone to have strayed away from the flock. And you want everyone to come into your flock. And so today, for anyone who's here, who's not with the flock today, who's gone away from it, never been in it, God, be in their lives today. Help them. Be with them. God, I pray that in the moments here to come, you would work in each heart in this room just exactly the way you want to. And may there be kingdom results because of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.